0: And now,
1: weighing in, out of the blue
0: corner, Josh, the Pong, Thompson, 100%, and on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big John
1: McCombie. Nice. Well, welcome everyone to the Weighing In Podcast. This is a special edition. Josh and I are very excited. We have a special guest for you, someone that's got a lot of information about the growth of mixed martial arts globally and some things that have happened recently the one and only Chachri Sityatung. Well, we are privileged to have the man that has started, is the CEO, the founder, all the things that have brought Asian MMA back, the one and only Chatri Sityadong, the leader of one championship. My man, how are you doing? You have to be ecstatic with what happened here on May 5th when you brought one championship to North America, all the way back to Colorado, it was Bruceville, Colorado, you have to be ecstatic.
0: Yeah, no, it was crazy. I'm, I'm super happy to be here. Uh, big John and and Josh, you know, uh, big fans of both of you guys. Uh, so uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, coming back to the States, you know, I, I lived in the U.S. for, I think, 18, 19 years. Maybe even, yeah, almost 20 years, maybe, around there. Um, so it was kind of surreal because I hadn't been back in, in, in also probably around 20 years. And uh, to come back... And to be able to, to, you know, throw an event in the reception that we received, I don't know if you guys watched on Amazon Prime, but... Of
1: course we watched it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you, guys. But the energy was electric. I just could not believe, you know, I thought, to be honest, like I chose a smaller venue. Um, it's, you know, several thousand, I think 7,000 capacity. My team was, you know, telling me, hey, we, we got to do our normal 15,000 seater. And I just thought, hey, you know, we're, we're brand new in America. We're a nascent brand. No one knows us. Let's just come in quietly and... You know, we sold out 7% of the tickets within 10 days of, of putting up the link. And then several weeks before the event, we completely sold out. And the energy was insane because all the cr- the, the crowd knew all of our athletes. It, it was shocking. Actually, DJ, who's obviously an American superstar and, and the GOAT, he got less of an ovation than Rook Tang, you know, a Thai guy from Thailand who doesn't speak a word of English. Yeah, but he's uh, awesome. It, it was crazy. I mean, so, so uh, you know, uh, uh, um. I'm hugely indebted and I full full of gratitude to to the U.S. fans.
2: When you um, when you guys started talking about putting MMA, but then you guys started moving in with the kickboxing, started now doing the grappling, all into one show. What was the what was the consensus behind that? and What was the talking conversation about bringing it all to one show?
0: Um, so I think it was both from kind of listening to fans out here in Asia, but mm-hmm. also. Uh, my own personal uh, development as a martial artist. And I've been doing martial arts my entire life. And I start up as... And I still train every day, you know, 38 years of Muay Thai. um, And then about 16 years of Jiu-Jitsu. And what I saw was obviously the rise of MMA. We saw that. But I also saw that all these incredible martial arts, if done properly with a high kind of finishing mindset by the athletes, and stylistically, I thought it could actually work very well. And in Asia... Um, Asian fans just appreciate striking far more than they do grappling as an you know art form across the continent. You look at you know Taekwondo in Korea, Karate in Japan, Kung Fu in China, Muay Thai in Thailand, Silat in Indonesia, Malaysia. So the familiarity of stand up um, just made a lot more sense in terms of showcasing that uh, across the continent of Asia. Because we started off you know as a Asia based, Asia only property, and it's only been the last. I'd say, five years in which we truly have expanded our global footprint. And now we are, you know, live in primetime on, on Friday, every Friday to 179 countries around the world um, with events. And so that, you know, is, is just a natural, I guess, progression. Uh, but also, you know, we, 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 we're we just thinking about what, what what makes one champion completely different from the other organizations is that we're truly the home of martial arts. You know, Asia uh, has a 5,000-year history 5, of being, um, you know, uh, the birthplace of martial arts, and I thought, you know, how how do we best showcase that? And as we added more arts, and and the platform truly became about martial arts. So we've done, you know, Muay Thai boxing. Uh, we've done, you know, Western boxing. We've done Jiu-Jitsu. We've done um, Lethwei, which is. Bur- uh, I was going to say you did
1: Lethwei. Are you ever going to bring it back?
0: You know, it's a case-by-case basis. I I think Way just doesn't work well on TV because of the headbutts. It it just, you know, it goes back to, John, and, you know, uh, I still have, uh, you know, memories of you, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Of UFC 1 and, you know, some crazy, crazy stuff, man. Like, you're part of history like that. You know, I actually watched, 1993, I watched the very first few ufc's live not not in the stadium but you know i, I was one of the early guys who bought pay-per-view cuz it appealed to the martial arts community right so yep. yeah
1: 1495 it was big bucks back then <laughs> wow <laughs> Think they about were paying that. for big john's arms oh, those yeah, big man. things at the time you know um when josh, when josh is talking about all the things that make one a little bit different than everybody else and the fact that you do have the grappling, the submission grappling. I'm, I'm going to go to your event that you just had, one championship uh, ten that was in uh, Colorado. You had two grappling matches there, and all the competitors are fantastic that you had. But there was a distinct difference between this, and I know that you're like you said, you're a brown belt under Henzo Gracie, right? Sixteen years yep. in jujitsu, yep. and a lifetime yep. muay thai. You, you actually how yep. many how many how many uh, professional matches did you have in muay thai? Uh, about 30. Wow, okay. And so, in watching those two distinct matches, I mean, Mikey was so entertaining and showed exactly what grappling can be as far as a guy going. I don't know how many catches that you know Shaolin called, but it had to be close to 10 catches, in the, and his opponent kept getting through those, fighting his way. That was how exciting we all know that grappling can be. Now, I'm going to go to... It was. I thought it was a great matchup, and you had Ty going against Deritter, and I I was l- looking at that, that going, man, this is this is going to be interesting. But Deritter in that, and I don't blame him, but he tried to stall it down as far as not allowing the takedown until he could get to the top position. Possibly, when you have those two types of grappling situations, is there anything that you look at that you could change to make it to where? Yeah.
0: Yeah, they so, all end up
1: so, like the one Mikey had.
0: Yeah, no, so I agree a thousand percent with you, John. Uh, Ty versus Derriter really flopped. Uh, it was not what I thought it would be. It's not what Leo Vieira, who's... Uh, I thought it would draft, be great. Yeah, I thought we was going to be great. Um, but the reality is, um, you know, Ty is a very... Uh, the Rule Toller brothers, both Ty and Kater, yes. are very, very aggressive, high cardio, high pace um, finishers. So... Yep. You know, I, I I know in the back of my mind, even though Derrida said in the um, fight week press conference that he's going to come out and go for the sub, in the back of my mind, I thought, you know, when you go up against a tire arcade, the natural instinct okay, I want to finish, but you also, if you take too much risk, you you, you risk getting Get caught. caught because they're so fast. And, and the other thing too is, if you don't, if you aren't super defensive minded, that the, their cardio goes forever. You know, so you can't. You know, Ty and Cade can go 100%, 100 miles an hour for 10 minutes straight. The Ritter probably can do that for five minutes. Most grapplers can do it for five minutes. It takes a very rare guy to do go 100 miles an hour, you know, 1,000 miles an hour for a full yeah. 10 minutes. You know, and, and Ty and and Cade have that natural ability. So, um, yeah, I was a little disappointed. I, I, I mean, you know, I think Ty did everything right. He was trying to uh, initiate the action. thing. Oh, absolutely. Think I think Derrida was kind of in the anti-jujitsu mode of like, let me just buy some time and, and, and wear the guy out. Um, if, if I start attacking too, then card Carter's going to drop and he has better Carter than me probably. That was probably what was going on in Derrida's mind. I don't know. I I didn't talk to either of them after the after the match, but I that's what I surmised.
2: Ty and Kate are two of the, the nicest young men I've ever met and been around. I've known them since they were about 10 years old. Um, their folks as well, both of them, yep. um, <clears throat> definitely really good kids to work with. They've got a huge, huge future and bright future ahead of them. Cool um, uh, what, what was it, where, how did that all come about with you signing these two young guys? Cause they're phenomenal. They're just great people.
0: Yeah. So, you know, one thing that, uh, you know, I, I travel all over the world for work and you know, and I train every city I go to, whether it's jujitsu or Muay Thai. And when we launched our Muay Thai product, uh, several years ago, what has been very noticeable is a, our in, direct impact on the student base. I mean, everywhere I go, the Muay Thai gym owners will tell me that their business is up 300 500% in the last few years because of one, right? It does the popularity of one. And, you know, we have such a high finish rate in one. And people, I don't think American fans realize we have a 70% finish rate in one versus, let's say, UFC at 35 or 40% and Bellator as well. And that's not to say what's better or worse. It's just that we are, we are very fan-friendly in that regard. And Muay Thai, our rule set of three rounds, um, three minutes a piece versus the traditional Muay Thai is five rounds, uh, three minutes a piece. And also because our our bonus system um, really rewards the KO, that we just had these explosive knockouts and it it just blew up numbers on YouTube and Facebook, organic video views and whatnot. And so we just had that kind of same mindset of like, how do we create a product from scratch uh, with grappling, that has an extremely high finish rate. That's very, very exciting. And we scoured the globe, and obviously I hired Leo Vera uh, to, to, to help me. And uh, obviously, Rural Total Brothers and Mikey are arguably the pound-for-pound greatest technicians on the ground who, who who always finish, right? Who strive for finishes. Um, and, and that's, you know, in in large part, why they're the face. But then you if you take a look at um, the female division, well, you know, Danielle Kelly's a finisher. You look at Bia um, um, Basilico, she's also a, a, a finisher, uh, Basilio. Uh, you know, so, so it's just we have um, – there's a particular style of submission grappler that we're looking for. Um, we're not looking for the folks who won by advantage or who game the system. We're looking for people who love going after submissions and who are take risks and very aggressive because that's what makes – for a fun fight and like exactly what you said john i think mikey must have had like i don't know 12 15 catches in like mm-hmm. three it's crazy going, i mean and osama is the current nogi world champion and you could just see mikey was two steps ahead of osama two to three steps i mean osama Absolutely. all he could do was just defend and once he defended one the next one he, he couldn't he could never catch a beat you know
2: yeah, yeah I, I um i was coached by leo for years and oh, really? I was part was part of team yeah I was part of team checkmate for for years uh during my stint the second stint of um of the UFC so towards the end of Strike Force he came oh, was training with us when we were in Strike Force and then uh yeah he was my main training partner going into the Benson Henderson fight Wow and, uh, yeah, so, no, yeah
0: Leo Leo is a really close buddy and and yeah. I I just love him to death super good guy and obviously just unbelievable jiu-jitsu
2: Yeah he's phenomenal and and for I got to be honest I watched because I trained with his other his other brother uh, Leandro and his yeah. Leandro was the coach at AKA but then Leo came up and was kind of looking to open facilities there in the in Silicon Valley area and uh, he was also getting ready for ADCs it was like his return after not competing for years and so we were just getting after it and getting after it but man he is such a f- just the things that he can do in such a small framed body and watching Crazy. him go with Crazy. certain guys whether it be yeah. Lucas whether, yeah. whether it be Lucas Leitch or yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know or Buchecha it doesn't matter yes. he just He'll get after it, and he he'll do everything. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal person. I love him to death, and he's fantastic, fantastic coach. He Uh, breaks it down so easy for people to understand.
0: Yeah, and and I'm kind of lucky, you know. Every fight week, I get to train with him. Mm. It's just it's 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 like I'm I'm in heaven, you know. He's obviously a good buddy, but the fact that I have access to Leo and and, you know, it's just amazing. And, And last in Denver, you know, it was in the room. Training every day was in in, in our geese was Leo Bouchesha Hodger Gracie and Shaolin and and then little old me so you have to imagine these are like four world championship black belts all like multiple time world champions and I'm just like a simple brown belt I'm looking at these guys and so we had all these roles and I tell you Hodger does not take it easy he does not whether you're a white belt or black belt his mindset is a champion's mindset he's gonna crush you he doesn't care. What, what, yeah. you know How you feel? Nothing. He didn't care. It's like that's what I love about Roger. You know, Roger's yeah, like Roger not about care. your
1: feelings. No. Yeah. but about your feelings. You want to
0: get good at jiu I'm going to put it on you. So obviously he's not doing Roger Gracie times 1,000, but no. he's doing yeah. everything. He's making no mistakes, and he's crushing me like a bug. Yeah. But obviously, it's a great lesson for me. But the point is that, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the fact that you also train very closely with Leo. Yeah, he's a he, he's a genius too. Oh, uh, no, absolutely. Ability, yeah, to pick apart the game and. Know exactly, you know how to adapt and evolve and and, and mm-hmm. game planning and all. He's amazing.
2: Yeah, you don't you don't train that many top level black belts to become multiple time world champions and not have a sense of yes. exactly what's going on and be brilliant yeah. in that department. Yeah. He is just and he's also a very fantastic person. Of
0: yes, unbelievable, amazing. Being coached
2: by him was one of the greatest uh, experiences of my career in terms of not just jiu-jitsu, but fighting. Um, um, moving on, think, let's go ahead and get into a little bit of the Leo thing and the Buchech thing and. Uh, it, what is your relationship? Cause even when I was working with you guys as a commentary, uh, back in the day, um, I wanted to know what, what's the relationship between evolve and one. And because I've noticed that like, uh, Michelle Nicolini was there helping to coach. Uh, I know Misha was there for a little bit, but Leo is there now. And I know you guys have always had a good relationship with bringing just people into evolve to help, I guess, well,
0: so, get them so connected I, with yeah, one. I, I own evolve and, mm-hmm. and, that's how my whole martial arts journey on the business side of things started, right? I didn't start, I started Evolve before I started One. Mm-hmm. And uh, today, it's completely separate management teams. Well, actually, as of, you know, seven, eight years ago, it's completely separate management teams. And I spent all of my time at One. And there's a management team that runs Evolve separately. And it's a chain of martial arts schools that has, you know, the most number of world champions across all the different disciplines, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu, et cetera, et cetera and Mikey is, is is you know training out of there and lives in Singapore the last uh, year or so um and uh the the point is that for a fighter if you have access i think we have like 70 80 instructors that evolve you know from all the different disciplines and they're all world champions whether it's a WBA or a boxing world champion a multiple time jiu-jitsu world champion like Mikey uh you know a Muay Thai world champion like Nong O etc um they all uh you know at one point used to work there as instructors or still do work as as instructors and Obviously, that's great for the the average person wanting to learn martial arts. But if you're a fighter, um, and Michelle Nicolini came here for I think three years, if I'm not mistaken, and she was teaching Muay Thai, but also I'm sorry, teaching Jiu-Jitsu and learning Muay Thai, upgrading her MMA skills, etc. And then she fought a few fights and won. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, it's I think it's it's a widely known fact uh, in 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 uh, here in Asia at least that. Uh, I own um, both companies, or I started both companies, I founded both companies, and and yeah,
1: I own them, yeah. My question for you is it's kind of a little bit complex because one is in that position right now where in Asia, you've been doing great. You've just come to North America. You had a fantastic show. Yes, you can sit there. I, I agree with you when you talk about the size of the arena. I would have done the same thing because you want to have a sold out arena compared to something that's got empty seats. I think you would have sold those seats too, but you know, having that small arena, that's the right way to do it. You were smart in doing it that way, but now where do you go? I know you can always go back to Colorado. They, the commission there allowed you. Are you going to try to expand the one's brand and the global rule set here in North America? You're going to have to kind of go through the ABC and try to get them to change their mind about certain things because- Josh and I will both tell you, look, I've said for a long time, I was one of the ones that helped set up the unified rules. Some of them I love, some of them I hate, you know, and it's just, it was a matter of you had to have, you know, you had to acquiesce to certain people that really didn't understand the martial arts. But, you know, I look at knees to the head of a grounded fighter. Look, it changes the fight. It makes it to where you can't be safe in certain positions. And we just saw a fight. You know, we we watched what you had as a product out of Colorado. We watched the UFC with Sterling against Cejudo, and uh, in those he was taking a position, being on all fours, where he could have been attacked if Cejudo was allowed to hit him with knees, but he's not. And so there was zero damage done out of all those positions, where with your rule set he could have been attacked and possibly even finished.
0: So you know the ethos of one. Uh, and again, I think this also uh, is what makes us very different and unique from anything that exists out there. You know, we're the world's largest martial arts organization by, by, by hosting all the different uh, bouts uh, of martial arts. Um, but also the ethos is about the true uh, meaning of martial arts um, or the origins of, in, of why martial arts in the first place was created. It's to defend yourself. And it's to defend yourself in a self-defense situation. Someone's attacking you, coming to your house, robbing you, whatever it may be. You're not going to pitter-patter. Your job as a martial artist is to finish the fight, right? And if you can finish in 30 seconds, great. 10 seconds, great. If you can choke someone out safely, that's amazing. It's not to play tag and hide-and-seek. And what do I mean by that? And no, dis- no disrespect to you, John. I know you're, you're critical to the unified rule set. But... What I don't like is that when you have a 10-point must system and you have guys who are phenomenal at wrestling, last 10 seconds, they shoot, double leg, take down, hold you down, and they won the round. Let's say the round was pitter-patter even.
1: Absolutely you know. not. Absolutely not, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> I well, know what you're saying.
0: You do three rounds of that, and, and you win the fight. And, and that, to me, is not martial arts. That is a game. It's no different than, you know, John, let's go into the cage and let's play a you know, tag. It's the same thing. So, um, or it's the same thing as, as, as you said, if someone in a real fight, in a real fight, if they're in the turtle position or a three-point, you know, uh, I, I don't know, the, the unified rule has a three-point thing, and you're only allowed to punch them, you know, while they're in the turtle position, like these weird punches, like, you know, like almost like baby punches. I don't know what they're, you know, um, and, and it looks like two kids fighting versus, you know, slamming a knee into in the person, you know, doing a, a 12 to 6 elbow. Um, these are things that finish fights. Um, and, and so you're not going to have such watered down martial arts, in my opinion. Again, I know, um, uh, I have a, a big fan of the unified rules. I do watch a lot of, uh, uh, fights under unified rule system. Um, but I just, again, I was very lucky. I was out here in Asia. There's no, there's no sports property that's pan Asia at the time. Um, I looked at everything that UFC was doing, right. I looked at everything that UFC was doing wrong. And I looked at. The old days of pride, everything they did right and wrong. And I said to myself, I'm going to, as a lifelong martial artist, create the ultimate martial arts organization that has a true ethos of martial arts. And again, that's why I do believe, that's why we have a 70% finish rate. Um, it's because we 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 select the right athletes like a Kate or a Thai or Mikey Musumich in grappling or like a Rot Tang and Muay Thai or or like a DJ in in uh in MMA. Um and under the the, the the rule, the global rule set, it's 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 far. Like you said, you know, even if I'm on top side control, the bottom guy can knee me in my face, right? So it's not a safe. Even if you're top side control, you're not in a safe position. Versus unified rules, you're in a safe position. You can stall. So the the rules uh, in our in our MMA product are very very conducive to high finish rates, and also our athletes. I mean, our athletes are. Are phenomenal, world class, world championship athletes, and so uh, who have killer instincts. Well, let me two, add, let me
1: go ahead, John. I'm going to ask one thing, real, real quick, off of it. You started off, and Matt Hume has been a big part of one, and came from Pride, and you really started off kind of with the Pride rules, but you've changed those because you did allow at a certain point uh, what we call soccer kicks to the head, and then yep. you had certain you had different yep. equations as far as the rule set with it, and then finally it was you got you banned those all together. Yep who is it and what have you done that is you as you have been growing who's been looking at these different types of things and making those alterations to where you're happy with the global rule set?
0: so obviously we work with uh you know country by country with the governments and the sanctioning bodies and all that stuff um and of course you know we, we we're very fortunate in that because when you're a pioneer you're able to then you know better the system and and you know, it's the same way UFC you know, went state to state in America to convince all the different athletic commissions. We also went around and, and tried to develop the very best, you know, obviously safety number one. Um, and, and the irony about safety, right, is people think, oh, boxing is safe because the gloves are big and it's 12 rounds. No. Actually, people die from boxing because of the repeated blows. You know, you get hit 100, 200 times Absolutely. in 12 rounds. And 11 to 12 round is when you die because your brain is so concussed and you... You somehow tear your brain stem, or, or 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 actually hemorrhage, right? It's never the one punch KO. With, with these four ounce gloves, you go boom, one shot, the guy's out. It's it's like a choke. Your brain is telling you stop, so you you you, you stop taking damage. Um, so <clears throat> actually, a high finish rate um, is actually safer for an athlete. You know, you don't want an athlete taking fifty shots to the head. You want an athlete. Um, ideally, taking one shot and 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 you know is either dazed to the point of TKO or or out uh, with a KO.
2: To piggyback on what John's uh, original question was was where do you go from here? Uh, Colorado is uh, the you're allowed to use your rule set, but where do you go outside of that now into other states? And if any yeah. other states express yes. interest yes. in, hey, yes. we can make these adjustments.
0: Yeah, so we are, you know, we have been rather in discussions with uh, multiple states, um, and, and it does look very promising because it was a very successful event in, in, in Colorado, but we show them the empirical data. You know, we've been around for 11 years and thousands of, of fights, mm-hmm. um, and we show the finish rates, we show the injury rates, we show, you know, um, minor injuries to severe injuries, and we, we're just we're very, very fortunate we haven't had any severe injuries mm-hmm. um, in the in, in, in 11 years, and 11 years plus that we've been in operations. So um you know, I think it's just gonna take time, but it will eventually roll out all over all over the US. I, I truly believe it. Um there's no combat sports has become the hottest segment in all of sports globally. And any state uh it, it behooves a state to drive tourism and and to drive excitement and 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 to drive um relevance cultural relevance right to to adopt new innovative as long as there as long as safety is a top priority uh which it is at one you know matt hume is arguably the most experienced i mean if you go to youtube mm-hmm. and you know you google matt hume he was fighting in late 80s and he was using all moves that were you know today you know with heel hooks and and the muay thai clinch and he was so far he was literally 20 30 years ahead of the game um you know, people back then were still so very rudimentary in, in their skill set. Um, so, you know, he's been really the, the, the visionary, the thought leader on the, on the rule set. And obviously, again, working with country by country, each all the governments and the martial arts uh, community um, and, and trying to create a better and better product. And again, we're very fortunate that we have that flexibility as Asia's largest uh, um, sports media property. And obviously, you know, as I said, the world's largest martial arts organization. We've been able to pull in all the different communities um, onto a single platform. And that's been very, very helpful.
2: You know, can you give me a, a list of a couple of States that you've kind of had conversations with about potentially going there next or not next, but with, yeah. The next yeah. So, so, so I, I'd rather somewhere. not, I'd
0: rather not okay. because until things are, hard, gonna say,
1: I, don't do yes, that. I, don't do yeah, that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I've <laughs> learned, I've learned uh, the hard way many times. If I talk too soon, I, I end up creating um, more chaos. That's uh, unnecessary chaos. So I'd rather, My team just work on it. So Rich Franklin and Matt Hume and a whole team is working on it state by state. Many, many discussions going on. Um, I can tell you several states are, I guess, at that line of approving uh, the global rule set. Um, So, yeah, it's very exciting times. Um, uh, You know, this is definitely going to be the Denver event when people look at it uh, will mark the very beginning of a full-scale uh, expansion in the in the u.s market by by one
2: now talking about colorado and your guys's last event how were you guys how did you guys work around your weight cutting for the u.s shows given that there's this, the weight classes were 125 135 you know how exactly. did you guys work around that
0: nothing changed with um how we do fights we, that we've been doing for the last 11 and a half years on ground here whether it was in the states as well you know the athletic commission approved our entire hydration weight system, um, obviously a- approved the global rule set, um, approved everything. You know our, our medical procedures, etc. And again, as a pioneer, we're very fortunate. What I did was I told our in-house doctors, "I want you to go all over the world to the top organiza- sports organizations and give me their safety process, their medical process, whether it's NBA, F1, UFC, etc., etc., etc." And we, and I said, make it better, make it safer. I don't care what it costs. Let's just make sure we have the very, very best system. And, um, you know, whether it's fight week CAT scans, um, neurological exams, um, you know, um, blood tests, you know, um, all sorts of crazy tests, balance tests during fight week. We do a whole army a battery of tests on our athletes to make sure that they're ready to go um, fight day. And again when you cut you know 15 20 pounds of water weight and rehydrate yourself um it's just not good for your body a um b your body doesn't necessarily rehydrate in equal proportion across your body meaning that you may drink all the water but you know some of it might go to your legs and then the rest get flushed out because you peed and didn't go to your brain and, and fill out the cells. It's, it's not like it's a uniform process of hydration, I mean, especially in a, in, a, in a short 24-hour period when, when you sucked out 15, 20 pounds of water. And so that's why you get these weird knockouts sometimes if you see um, you know, a jab and the guy gets knocked out. And you're like, what What happened? Well, the guy cut weight, lots of water weight, rehydrated, but his brain wasn't hydrated. And so uh, just, a, just a jab, right, because the brain is knocked against the skull instead of being encased in fluid, in, in water, as a shock absorber. And that's why you get these weird occasional knockouts where the guy you know has a great chin and you're like, he got he, a jab and he, and he basically got knocked out. It's, this is typically usually a hydration issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we were able to uh, do everything. The and, and that's our plan. Every country we go to, we, we keep the exact same standard of excellence in everything we do, medical and safety, etc., cetera, um, and just get the right buy-in and partnership structure um in the case, in this case it was the Colorado State Athletic Commission um and and you know they're they're innovators and and obviously they brought UFC I mean they were the ones that obviously allowed UFC 1983 and it was just kind of like coming us no they didn't for <laughs> us yeah, they, yeah. they
1: didn't they didn't allow anything they didn't have a commission back oh, okay, then but it's it. okay no, it's not it. your fault yeah uh, okay.
0: but but we I mean we also chose Colorado for that reason as well you know it was okay. there's a significant—it's Colorado is the birthplace of American mixed martial arts. You know, mm-hmm. in 1993, it was—it literally started off a revolution in the U.S. You know, although mixed martial arts started in early 80s in Japan with Shuto, um, in America, you know, it, it was the, the birthplace in, in Colorado. So we thought that was significant. Above, hey, we're coming to Asia. Let's pay respect to the birthplace of American mixed martial arts, and it all kind of worked out.
2: Where so. When you guys you were saying hey the with the Colorado State Athletic Commission you guys they handled everything professionally did everything that you guys were asking to make sure that your your promotion could stay intact and how the rule sets were your hydration uh, setups what do you guys do when you are not in in a commission based like in Colorado when you guys are traveling say Manila um, I've traveled with you guys to Manila Kuala Lumpur Singapore everywhere what do you guys do in and terms I mean, of drug so, testing yeah,
0: so, so so again it, it depends like uh, in a country like Philippines actually, you know, mandatory drug testing, um, very very strict, um, and obviously the the gab is called the gab. I don't know. I think it's called. I forget what the what what it stands for, but the gab mm-hmm. it is basically the athletic commission for the entire country. Mm-hmm. They have very stringent rules, and they will be overseeing our process in partnership. So um, that's one in which there is strong oversight. Then you know you go to a country like um, Thailand where we work with the with, with uh, you know. Um, the Muay Thai bodies or the Sports Authority of Thailand. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a country-by-country basis. In a country like Singapore, we were the innovators. There was no martial arts scene before one. Um, And so we were basically, you know, um, as this global rule set was developed by Matt and, and, and input from a lot of experts around the world, it's really then implementing the exact same system. doesn't matter which country you're in. And it, and if it's a very strong government like the Philippines um, with, with a strong athletic commission, then it's about partnering with them and 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 working with them, but not changing the system or the process at all. It's really keeping everything everything the same. And again, when we came to the U.S., it took we began planning our U.S. entry I think four years ago. So it's taken a uh, you know many meetings, many years of meeting with. So the state athletic commissions and showing them the data and, and working with them until we got the green light. So it's the same thing for, you know, every country.
2: But when you, when you go to like, say, because I, I worked your guys' first show you guys did in Beijing and who does the drug testing and say events like that. And then also like Manila does, you said the GAP right. or GAP right. or whatever right. it is, like right. who does the drug testing when it's not in the States and run by like a state commission? Right.
0: So our random drug testing, uh, and Matt Hume is a better person to, to speak to this, is run by a WADA certified lab out of Taiwan, from my understanding, and it's randomized drug testing. Um, uh, so that's, I think, the best uh, I can give you. You know, He's much more, he, he's into the details of that. I'm not as much into the details, but we do randomized drug testing every event, um, and it's run by a, a WADA certified lab.
2: Because John will speak on it, too, because like Bellator has the same issues when they travel internationally. The UFC does as well. They take yeah, their yeah. own people to help make sure that yeah, there's yeah. testing done right. properly right. by...
0: So, so, right. So, so it's no different than UFC or Bellator. Yep. You know, the, the, the three organizations, the three global organizations, we are traveling circus, right? When, the, when Bellator went to France, I'm sure they had to do a lot of the stuff themselves. But, again, they have systems and processes and people that are already doing it. And we just, again, try to standardize everywhere we go so that there's no... Oh well, we allow soccer kicks in this country, but not that country. No, so that's why it was very important for us when we came to the U.S. It was like, hey, everything we do out here in Asia, it's exactly the same, and 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 it has to be. You know, if you think about it, if you're going to be a truly global brand, you know, a, a Big Mac tastes the same. Doesn't matter where you are in the world. McDonald's has been able to perfect the Big Mac in the U.S. and then export it all over the world with systems processing people to make sure that the Big Mac takes the same. That is our mindset as well. It's like we have to have the same product everywhere we go um, and, and working with the local governments or the, or the national governments. Um, and if there are no governments in that case, then obviously then you have to, um, just like UFC or, or Beltor have to make sure that um, your systems processing people are are 100% um, the same way as you would do it in, 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 uh, in, let's say, the U.S.
2: Well, that's not true. I can get a Big Mac with, with, with an egg on it in Japan. <laughs> 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 That's awesome, uh, but okay. So look, outside all the, uh, go ahead, John. Not sorry, go ahead. Outside of all the um, talk from your last fight, your last uh, show, there was a, an interview that came out yesterday with Francis, and he had some things to say. And I just wanted to get your take. Did you get a chance to watch it on the MMA Hour?
0: No, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I, I had saw obviously some some headlines and stuff. You know, uh, it, w- w- what I say is I think there was uh, our teams, Markel is his manager and Andrew is his attorney. Mm-hmm. Matt Hume and my team have been working on this for the last three, four months. I personally haven't been involved as deeply, right? I mean, that's not my job. I run the company. Matt Hume runs athlete recruitment, matchmaking, et cetera. And there were definitely offers, you know, a first offer. And then I think there was a second offer. Then it came to the point of Matt Hume working with Markel on a $20 million, and he literally, they went line item by line item and said, with this deal, and then Markel literally said to Matt Hume, uh, this would put you in the front seat. Now, Markel and Andrew did say, um, there's high urgency, a deal is gonna close imminently. Now, um, I did hear that uh, you know Francis said, we didn't talk numbers when we met. I, I At the end of the day, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a CEO. For, for anyone to say that I would not talk about an offer, I'm coming to meet you, for two to three hours and not talk numbers, it just doesn't make any logical sense. I'm not saying that that uh, uh, Francis is, is 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 being untruthful. I think everyone has, you know, you're sitting there at lunch. Everyone has their own perspective of what uh, would happen. But I can tell you, I think there might be a disconnect between, uh, you know, Francis and Markel and and and, and Andrew on real time updates of what's going on because, uh, you know. Um, the point of that meeting was to see if we could come uh, come to terms, um, and the point of the meeting was not just to sit there. Um, but of course, I, uh, being the entrepreneur I am, I'm going to try my best to 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 explain why one is the best option for him and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, after we walked away, shook hands, it was on good terms. Um, but the next day, I messaged Andrew Markel, and they have all screenshots of it. And I said, "Hey guys, thank you so much for the for for, for this whole process because they've been working with us for three four months." And I said, "You know, at this point, we, we, we're going to withdraw." And you know, I think the big mistake is I probably shouldn't have gone and said that to the media. You know, and then the media put a lot of different spin on things, and you kind of lose control of the discussion. And so that, in hindsight, I feel very bad about. But you know, uh, Francis. I'd say a lot of stuff he said was truthful. I think a lot of stuff he admitted or inadvertently admitted. Maybe he wasn't aware that Markel and Andrew were in sync with Matt Hume and stuff on offers. Because just like me, I'm I'm relying on my team to work out details with with uh, his team. I'm not I'm not I'm not personally doing the negotiation or the or the offering to Markel or Andrew. Um, I don't think anything untoward was done by anybody. I just think it, you know these things. Um, sometimes when they're out in the media, it just, it just ends up snowballing into, you know, he said, she said, etc. But But um, I can tell you in good faith that Matt Hume and Markel and Andrew worked together for the last three, four months trying to get something done. And then it came to a point where like Chatri, we have, and I remember this message from Matt Hume saying, hey, this is a, a deal that Markel says we can get through that will put us in the front seat. Okay. And then Chattrick go meet Francis. And that was literally the conversation. But again, um, I have not seen what's Francis. I just saw headlines of him, you know, um, saying something. We didn't even talk about numbers. We did talk about numbers. Um, I pulled out Matt Hume's numbers, you know, that he and Markel were talking about the $20 million. So, um, yeah, but, Look, at the end of the day, Francis, um, we couldn't make it done. we And, and that's why we withdrew. And, and he got what he wanted in the end. So it, at the end of the day, I think no harm, no foul. He's in a happy place. He's in a good place. And, you know, we couldn't get it done based on what we felt was um, a, a true win-win for us, right? Everything in life has to make sense. And I think for PFL, it made sense. And and, and so kudos to PFL and kudos to to, to Francis. I'm zero like literally zero uh it was, again the the mistake I made was just that talking to the media saying I'm going to go meet Francis was was a big I just, in hindsight you know like uh I I kind of innocently just said that and then it just blew up and then yeah then it's he said she said and I, I yeah it is what it is
1: <laughs> look anything that comes out sometimes you say something me's going to put it out the way they want and that's you know unfortunate <laughs> but let, let me ask this one thing off of it then because it was when I, I I listened to Francis and he said that, you know, he told you right away, look, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably going to go to the PFL. That had to, in some way, make you go, well, if you know where you want to go, you know, I, yes, you're in a position that you could possibly talk him out of it. But does that set the meeting off with almost like a, a bad, a shank on a golf shot no, or something? It's it is. almost bad.
0: This is where I, this is where I tell you the disconnect, right? Like Markel and Andrew told Matt in writing, uh, as well as verbally, that this is a meeting that Chatur has to present this, and, and and you'll be in the front seat. This is what I was told by Matt, and Matt was you know saying this is from Mar- Markell. And again, I don't think anything untoward is happening. It wasn't until midway in which which uh, in our in our uh, meeting with Francis, it wasn't until midway that he said, "Hey, I'm really leaning to, to PFL." Um, but, of course, that doesn't mean anything to me, like meaning that my job is to make sure any athlete, um, you know, like Roberto Soldich had offers from UFC and I think Bellator and whoever. Um, and we were late to the game with Roberto. And I said, Roberto, give me a chance, you know, come to Singapore, watch an event and let's hang out. And you need to thank me for that fight. one, too.
1: You you so- need to thank me for that signing of Soldich, because I I, I swear to God, I was in Ireland with him. And he was talking about he's gonna go. I said, "What are you doing?" I, I, I said, Roberto, you're a prize fighter. You go to the place that's gonna pay you the most money and give you the fights that you want. The most money. That's what you're doing. And then all of a sudden, he signed with you. I went, "Way to go, smart man." Yeah. Loved it.
0: So, so, so that one, so that one is an example. We were behind. You know, John. Whether someone's behind or ahead in the deal making doesn't matter because you know he has two offer. Right. What 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 matters is can you come to terms? So yeah. for me, you know, you know, um, yeah. I, I, again, I I just I think it was a lot of media and misunderstandings and and just honestly, like it's. Um, how many times have I been in this situation, whether it's a, you know a sponsorship advertising deal where we're behind or we're ahead and we end up losing the deal or we're we're, we're behind and we end up like, again, Roberto is a great example. We're way behind uh, UFC had given an offer about a month before and we're way behind. Um, and I was able to convince him to, to, to come join and sign with one. So, you know, I, again, but what will stop me though, is if I feel like, Hey man, um, there are certain terms in which I don't think we could, could make things work right okay. uh, on win-win terms. And so again, I do believe Francis chose the right organization and I, and I wish him well. Um, in hindsight, I wish this hadn't played out in the media between me and Francis. Um, but behind closed doors, you know, uh, from my understanding, Markel and Andrew and Matt are, are, are in good terms. And, you know, uh, th- there's no ill will whatsoever. But I do think a lot can get tra- lost in translation. Um, yeah, so I, I think... Maybe it is possible that Francis was annoyed that this came out in the media. I have no idea, right? But I can tell you that his version, some of the things he said were, uh, again, this is from the headlines I see. I'd have to go watch uh, what, what, what he said in, in detail. Um, but, again, it's not, it's not worth my time. I mean, at the end of the day, he signed. You know, I, I, I wasn't able to get it done. So it is what it is. But we did send an email uh, or, or WhatsApp message to Mark and Andrew after the meeting. Hey, we 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 can't we, we we are withdrawing from the process. of which we've been at it for three four months, um. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I there is actually no drama, really. It is just when you let things play out with, between multiple parties, um, in the media, in the just, media,
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When when yeah. I look at when I look at his contract that he signed with the PFL, and I'm assuming it was very similar to kind of what you guys had offered, and yours being a potentially a little bit more, um, it, he he wanted guaranteed money for his opponents up to two million dollars. I mean, as a as a promoter,
0: well, well, that's a great example. He did bring that up in in our meeting, and, and again, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I don't want to go into he said she said. <laughs> he brought, and that's also what I said I, in my mind at the time. I said, wow, well, that that we can't do that. We, uh, we, it just, we can't, then suddenly we, we have no ability to control our event profitability or loss, right? It's very, very difficult when you have, when you're in a situation. like So I just certain, there are certain things that were um, not financial, right? Not, not fight, not fight purse related, but more like board and, and, and um, opponent pay and mm-hmm. things like that, that in the end, we couldn't, feel comfortable doing so again um it's neither here nor there i'm sure France is going to do very well in life he's a good guy he's a good champion as i've said publicly all the time and i believe privately as well um yeah it's just yeah
2: When, when when a company like the ufc or i know a company like bellator and yourself when uh do you feel like it's a snowball effect when a fighter comes in and goes hey i want guaranteed money for my for my opponent and I want to be on the board and I want to be able to do this over here in this country. When they start making the calls, do you feel like that's opening the floodgates now for other fighters to go, Hey, he got it. I'm demanding it. And then now you have to answer to the 250 or the 300 fighters you have on your roster.
0: Um, no, I think for me, you know, board seats and stuff like that. Um, you know who's on my board right now are, are literally some of the smartest institutional investors in the world um i just didn't think it made a lot of sense it, it it would be like one of our investors saying hey i want to go fight for the world title you know in one it, it, it with no martial arts background it just doesn't make a lot of sense holistically right so that's again it's it's a personal preference thing. It's not a it's a rather ideology or or philosophy that whatever position you are in the company should you should be able to add uh, a value to the organization so that the collective organization can do well together. You know, uh, uh, is greater than the sum of its parts. Um, so uh, it wasn't so much about precedence, I, I, I you know because every I mean, Josh, you know this game is every athlete is very unique. Meaning that what you what skills you bring to the table, what your background is, what your credentials are, which fan base you're going to pull, um, all these different things are 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 very very unique. Um, and so every athlete has a uh, a unique setup, especially someone as big as Francis, right? I mean, uh, when we signed Roberto, he did have a very unique setup because you know he arguably is you know the greatest pound for pound. Uh, champion out of um, out of Europe, um, and at the time we signed, him, he definitely was the hottest free agent in several years. That all the major organizations went after him hard. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't. Um, do, that, do you that, do you that, look that, at my mind? What what crossed my mind was wow. Like I don't think we can get a deal done. That that was. And it's funny because, you know, what's funny, the day before I met Francis, I was in, in, in L.A. Uh, doing the Brendan Schaub show, you know, his uh, Fighter the Kid show. And I yeah. and Brendan and I were talking before the show. He's like, hey, I heard you're meeting Francis. And we talked to him. I said, yeah, but, you know, I think it's it's very close. I think it's very far. And, and um, I explained why. I said, you know, there are certain um, board seat uh, issues, et cetera, that I just don't feel comfortable with. And Brendan and I talked about that particular issue. And so the day after I met Francis and, and and said, "Hey, we're pulling out due to non-financial issues," you know, Brendan messaged me. Um, but yeah, that's an that, that's a great example. Like, it, it, it's certain things are going to be comfortable for certain organizations. So PFL was very comfortable with with uh, you know um, their partnership structure with Francis, and it, it's well, good for PFL, it's good for Francis.
1: Could- The first thing that happened when you know that was signed, Josh and I were talking. I said, "I want to be his first opponent. That's two million dollars. I'll fight Francis right now for two million dollars." Now the problem is, (laughs) I don't deserve it. I don't deserve that kind of money because I I don't bring that. I'm not that opponent that is going to match up with him and give people the fight that they deserve. And and you've got to have control over some of that.
2: When you look at, but like so, John, like you were just talking about, and Chatri. Remember when Conor used to say, hey, after he had done the, uh, he'd beat Jose Aldo and he was fighting uh, Floyd Mayweather, he started talking about he's going to own part of the UFC.
1: I'm sorry, but it never happened. Yeah, but Chotry's going on that he would not have Uh-oh. Conor McGregor in his organization because he doesn't follow what he <laughs> believes is the martial arts way. I like that. But do you know what I'm saying? Now
2: you have someone like Francis, though, who is coming along and then they parted ways with the UFC. And then he's going and doing the very much, very similar to what Connor was doing. But then if you take name value as a promoter yourself, whether it's Bellator, whether it's UFC, you start weighing, like John and I talked about on our midweek show. You weigh what does this person bring in? The value. And what other fighters can I have him fight that will help bring value to my promotion? And having somebody on a board
0: fundamentally at least for one our philosophy is win-win everybody has to win the athlete has to win the promotion has to win right it has to be it can't be lopsided where the promotion is making money and the athletes not and it can't be the other way around where the athletes taking everything and and the promotion gets nothing it just it it's that's why it's it ha- that they have to be working together um and and you know people can argue um, this promotion is too powerful, that promotion is not, or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, here at One, we do generally try to craft win win um, situations with everybody we work with, whether it's our, our vendors, our athletes, our uh, team, you know, our broadcast partners, whoever it is. That's just mentally like, in order to create a successful company, I truly believe you have to do right by others. Just always making sure that everybody who's Every part at seated at the table has to get a piece of the pie, a fair piece of the pie. Um, but you know, again, everyone has a different assumption. Like maybe PFL is assuming they're going to get a million buys um, with Francis and whoever, and therefore the economics work. When we try to put the economics, you know, to to work on the opponents, that's when, when again, and um, and the board stuff, you know. But he got those with with with. with uh, with PFL, so that, that, that's what I'm saying. Like both of them are happy, PFL and Francis are happy. So it, you know, there's nothing for me to say or or, or not say. It. It's it's or, or feel bad about. It. I mean, we tried. We tried, but we we withdrew from the process. We, we we you know after we felt after that meeting, I withdrew and um, yeah.
1: John, anything uh, else on the Francis? Yeah. No, not on Francis. Gone. Here's my question: Is a lot of people are going to sit there and look at you know financials and everything, and and you've had financials that have come out that, uh, in you know, I think it was in what 2022 or something. Yeah, it it shows that you're at a deficit, but it's what your company's worth, and it's also been that your company has been appraised at over a billion dollars for one yeah. C, so, with that so, type so of Josh situation. Okay.
0: Area. Yeah, so Josh, who lives in the Bay Area uh, for sure. Has friends who knows about Sequoia Capital. It's literally the probably the Hugh. most respected and most uh, yeah. uh, respected venture capital firm in the world, uh, with a fifty year track record of of you know investing in, in the likes of you know Amazon, Google, Facebook. I mean, o- o- Oracle, Yahoo. From the very very day one, right? We're S- S- Sequoia Capital's very first investment in sports. Um, yeah, and we're valued at one point four billion. Although it's going to be a little higher. Uh, I-, I can't talk to what's happening right now, but it's gonna be a little higher than that. But the, the point is that very sophisticated, smart investors pour over all of our data, all of our financials, and understand the vision of what we're building. Now, I'll give you a great analogy, okay? If you're going to build, let's say, the world's largest Disney World, and it's going to be 10 times bigger than the current Disney World, and let's say it's going to take you seven years to build this thing, you're going to be able to mega, mega, the unbelievable number of roller coasters, unbelievable number of hotels. And
1: you're going to be way in the hole.
0: Ride. And every year, that seven years, when you're building it, when you look at that snapshot, year five, you are losing a ton of money, but you're building something, right? Yep. Year seven, finally, when, you're, when the, this Disney world is built and then you, you, you open the gates, then you'll make money. There's no different than building a global sports property. You have to invest in the platform, the brand, the roster. You have to build, invest in the marketing machine. You have to build in. You, ha, I have. We have ten offices around the world. You have to. You have to build all that infrastructure to be able to play the global game of sports.
1: And that, um, that was what my, the last part of my it, question is. In five years, where is it that you see one championship at?
0: Well. In five years, one thousand percent will be very, very profitable. Um, we're inching our way to profitability as we speak. Um, the the it took ten years of building this platform, our brand, our roster, um, our scouts around the world, ten offices around the world, all the stuff that we do, our production, um, everything, and we are. You can see the 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 monetization is 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 really uh, taking off at one right now, um, and. I think, you know, in five years definitely we will be the vision uh will be as a true global sports media property, one of the biggest in the world. Um, you know, Nielsen came out with this uh industry, you know, go to Nielsen dot com on the top twenty largest sports properties by viewership, right? Across TV and social and digital, et cetera. And we were ranked anywhere from number five to number ten depending on the on the metric. That was very surprising to us because we we knew we we're growing fast, but we didn't know we we're how fast we we're growing relative to other sports properties. And I think NBA was number four; we're number five, and something like that. And all those other properties, by the way, the young, two youngest properties were UFC and one on that list of twenty. It was literally like EPL, hundred years old; NFL, hundred years old; NBA, seventy years old; you know, uh, F one, seventy years old. Um, and uh, so, you know, UFC is thirty years old, so it should have. Uh, a a head start on revenues and profitability. We're only 11 years old. So um, I I can just say that our board of directors are happy. Our institutional investors are happy. My team and I are happy. Uh, We know what's up. I mean, what's most important is, um, you know, fandom. Is our fan base growing? Is our fan base engaged? You know, I think going to Denver was very eye-opening for me. I mean, I was genuinely shocked. My team was was shocked as well that the energy in the in the, in the stadium was electric and they knew all of our athletes like as if they were in a hometown, as if they were like in Bangkok, right? Um, it was pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and this is, again, like it's a, a proof point that we can sell out in Denver, Colorado – while never having set foot in America, I mean that's just kind of think about that for a second. It's just pretty wild that we can sell out in Denver, Colorado, having never set foot in America as a as an organization, right? Like it's, no, it's, it's impressive. It was an impressive night. What?
1: So it was an impressive, impressive overall. Impressive. Very impressive overall. Everything that happened with that, the way it was presented, it was great. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Amazon was super happy. We, we, we hit new record high viewership. We were number one on Twitter, number five in the U.S., and number one globally. Uh, sorry, number one in, 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 in the U.S. on Twitter, and then number five globally. Uh, we were trending. Like it was, yeah, it was the, the, the ratings. We hit uh, a new record high, up 70% um, from our previous high uh, on Amazon, and Amazon was super happy. Like, it, it, it couldn't have gone any better, right, in terms of even the quality of fights. Uh, were 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 incredible. The finishes were incredible, um, and to think again that we're based out of Singapore. I mean, just wild to think that, man. that let like, going go to the states for that that those two and a half weeks I was in the states for. It, it was uh, like a trip. It was surreal, and I was so full of gratitude, but it was very surreal. I was like I I I couldn't register. It's hard to register. You know, I'm throwing events out here in Asia. Yeah, we go to Tokyo. We have a rabid fan base, but to, to, to think that you know Americans, you know, like we have a fan base, it was it was very surprising. Um, and what was what was interesting was forty five percent of the stadium flew in from other states. Um, that was also very shocking to us. You know, we thought, okay, we get Denver because there's a big Denver uh, martial arts community, but. 45% of the, the the ticket buyers were from, you know, outside of Colorado.
2: Your uh, deal with Amazon, what's the length on that? About five years?
0: Yeah, five years. And we're we're approaching our first year. Uh, is there more. a guaranteed
2: amount of shows per year?
0: Yes, at the minimum of 12 shows um, a year. But I, yeah, I'll just say that Amazon is looking to, Amazon and One are in discussions um, right now, as you speak, to expand and broaden and deepen the partnership. Um, so knock on wood that if, if all parties can come to terms, you know, we'll be um, ramping up aggressive. But either with or without that, we will be ramping up our number of events in the U.S. Uh, 2024 and beyond. Like I said, Denver was a starting point. It was day one. And, and now we, 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 it will mark, when we look back five years from now, John, we will look back and say, wow, that was the actual, that was 1993 equivalent. It it was a start of one in the U.S.
2: Um, I wanted to kind of get you out of here here on this. This is kind of my last thing, and uh, it's a very positive thing, is one championship honors uh, Victoria Lee. You guys are starting a scholarship uh, award for her uh, in her name, and uh, yesterday was her birthday, and so um, I just... Just want to let you kind of talk to us about what the scholarship entails and uh, how it all came about, working with her sister and her brother, and um, what this means yeah. to you.
0: So, um, I, I'm uh, I, I was very close to Victoria. Um, I'm close with Angela um, and Christian um, and, and her parents, Ken and Jules. And um, I was in. I was in on vacation, my first vacation in, in literally eleven, twelve years, um in Switzerland and, and Angela calls me ball, you know, crying, crying, crying and, and let letting me know that uh, Victoria passed away. I was in in, in big shock and, and uh um was originally sl- was originally going to the funeral, but then they made it a closed door thing because the paparazzi and et cetera were yeah. were, were, were making a fuss. And then I went to um Hawaii um four or five weeks ago to visit uh the family and to visit uh Victoria's uh, resting place and um one thing I'll tell you about the Lee family is they're very very close very loving um you know four four children and, and the two parents Ken and Jules and uh it, the, the the love, emanating that family was just really truly extraordinary it wasn't a normal family that i'm sure they had their you know rifts and, and rafts whatever you know um uh, brothers and sister sibling fights whatever it is but um i'd never seen a family and even to this day that has so much love um and, and family is just really everything for them right truly so um going to hawaii it was just, it, it was devastating you know um and uh I've known you know I I met first met Victoria at 11 years old, uh, when she first came to Singapore um, because her Angela had just signed a one, and, and uh, that's when, when I met uh, Victoria, and uh, she was a prodigy back then. Um, she's the best in the family, and um, the, the, I mean what, what I mean the sweetest, most gentle girl you could imagine, even eleven and wise beyond her years. Um yeah, it's been very hard for the Lee family and, and and when I went to Hawaii it really it it really rocked me hard. I mean I was always very rocked already. Uh but going there, you know, and seeing everything just it, it it was very tough. But so the last several months since Victoria's passing we've had multiple discussions I've had multiple discussions with Angela and her family um, on on how best to honor Victoria. And We came up with kind of three simple things. One is honoring Victoria Lee Day, January 13th of every year. Um, uh, Encouraging our fans and our athletes to um, do random acts of kindness to strangers or whoever. This is kind of like, you know, Victoria's like thing and and, uh, do that. And then the second piece is um, uh, Victoria Lee um, award for the athlete who contributes most to his or her community um, you know charitable contribution or, or time or effort whatever it is and the third is um, scholarships um, at to, to evolve for uh, any athlete in their teenage years wanting to be a world champion under 18 years old just have to write an essay to victoria.lee at evolve-mma.com uh, on why they deserve to have you know full scholarship as well as uh, why why they want to continue the legacy of Victoria. Um, and so this is just again the, these three things what what the family and I together work through and and, and arrive so that we could continue her legacy and, and again, like I, I, words don't do it justice, I'm saying it, but it just doesn't do it justice. She was the sweetest, kindest, most humble, gentle soul. And, and it just, yeah, it's just a, a very, very, um, and, and 100% she was going to be a multiple-time world champion in one. That, that there was no question about it. No question. So,
2: Just gone too soon. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Gone way too soon.
1: Um, John, do you have anything else, bud? No, I just want to say in the end, you know, Chatri, thank you for uh, everything that you doing. Thank you for your time, first off. And thank you for, you know, representing the martial arts the way it's supposed to be done. You're... Uh, your your organization as a whole really shows, and I'm saying that through the Muay Thai, the boxing that you've done, the all those things, you really show the martial arts, and it's really appreciated. Congratulations on the success.
0: No, that that, that, thanks a lot. that means a lot uh, coming from you, John. Like I still remember, you know, the, those crazy fights in the UFC, and and it's kind of surreal for me even to be. Sitting here talking to you, John, and, and uh, so big fan of, big fan of yours. And, and same thing for Josh. So thank you for the time, guys. And, and uh, you know, um, please let me know if there's anything I can do to help you guys in any way. Just ping me anytime.
2: Appreciate a, it, brother. Thank thanks you so come much. On.
1: All right. Thank, we got to give a big thank you to Chachri for his time there. It is late where he's at, early where we're at. So it took a lot for him to get on, but we appreciate his time. Josh, this is a guy that you actually worked with. You've known for a while. What did you think of some of the answers? I thought it was very eloquent, especially when it came to the Francis stuff.
2: I thought he handled it uh, as as best he could. Without you know, you don't want to say too much because you're hoping that something will come. You're you're hoping well, he that kind you of don't talked about anything. maybe he
1: said too much already. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: That that might that might have been it. But look, I think uh, he handled it uh, professionally the way he talked with us about it. Uh, look, at the end of the day, he understood what was best for his promotion. Uh, The PFL understood what was best for their promotion. That's they it. needed to go that direction. They signed it. They put the money out. It's no different than when you look at NFL teams, basketball teams. That player is worth a lot more to me uh, than maybe that player's worth to the other team down the road that doesn't need that DB or doesn't need that safety. Well, I need that person. So I'm trying to build something in that division. I feel like I've signed some other top talent that are in that division that can help grow my talent and uh, make a name for themselves. So. That's what's going to happen. That's what kind of makes it that's why I've said instead of going through this this process of free agency and then everyone talking trash about each other, why don't we just go right to the trading fighters? Then each promotions get something out of it. I mean, I know I'm I know I'm beating a a dead horse over here, but I think just a little. Th- there could have been a moment there where hey, UFC called up and said, "Look, we're not getting this deal done. So, um, you know, and we're going to trade him off to you." And so I'm going to get a little bit of something out of him. They couldn't do that. I, I think they didn't have a
1: contract with him. But his contract?
2: No, he, they did have a contract with him. His contract was. Uh, I'm saying they could have done with that Francis. long ago. Yeah, they could have done it one fight before. Yeah, it's no different than when you have the NFL players, right? They usually have one year left on their contract. They realize it's not going in the right direction, or they just don't want to invest in him any further, and they say, "Okay, look, let's go ahead and trade you off to a team that maybe needs a DB, and then hopefully the relationship that's built that's better over there, and then they can re-sign them." Um, one year win a win, maybe one year win a Super Bowl. Who knows? And now they want to stay. Who knows what the circumstances are? But Francis put himself in a position to open the floodgates for other fighters, which I I applaud him very much. Um, I think that now you're going to start to see promoters understand that this is where the direction of the sport is going. It's going to start to become more of I think like an NFL. I think they're going to start trading fighters to avoid having this type of conflict. Like, it's bringing a lot of negative energy towards the UFC. Uh, Other promotions that are in the sweepstakes of trying to get these fighters, they also get negative blowback. Um, Why not? Let's go ahead and just say, hey, UFC is going to trade for this person or Bellator is going to trade for this person. One's going to trade for this person. Whatever it is, you can end up seeing this happened to to avoid all the blowback and then on top of it going hey we knew we couldn't get the deal done he was asking too much but this promotion wanted to give it a try now he's gonna have to fight one or two fights over there uh to honor the contract i you know you may have no cut you know no cut clauses or no no uh trade clauses in your contracts like how they do in the nfl and the nba stuff
1: all the contracts are gonna have to change because there's gonna have to be a trade con Mm -hmm. a little some kind of blurb in there about being traded Yeah, but the other thing though too
2: is that like that only applies to really to the the very best, like the John Joneses and the Yaroslav Amosov. You know, the fighters that that are that are just the best in the game right now. So those are it only applies to like those type of fighters. The Conor McGregor says, "Hey, it can't be traded," you know. A John Jones says, "I I can't be traded." You know what I mean? Like it's the best fighters in the sport across the board for you know from the last you know six six seven years. They have a little bit more clout. That's all. That's what happens in the NBA. That's what happens in. The NFL, those fighters say, Hey, I don't, or those, those athletes say, I don't, I have a no cut clause unless it's approved by me, though. Also, that's another way of doing it. Yeah. But otherwise, they just don't sign you for as much. And that's yeah, the way you yeah. got to look at it. I, I also, um, love what he did with the Victoria Lee, um, scholarship award. Good on him. Uh, yep. good on the promotion. Uh, I think that's fantastic. And, uh, definitely she was gone too young. And, uh, I really feel for her family. I saw her sister posted something yesterday and, uh, just as a reminder that it was her birthday and, wishing her a heavenly birthday, and uh there's a lot of emotion that goes I think into the anybody for that and um I never met Vicky, but I met her you know Angela, and I can just tell you that they seem like they're very close, and in the conversations just talk she used to talk about her sister, and I was just in passing a couple of times with Angela, and uh it didn't seem like there was ever a moment where she wasn't talking about her sister, like being saying positive things. And so, um, the best uh, to her and um, and her family during this tough time, and uh, wishing her a heavenly birthday. Outside of all of that, uh, I'm interested to see what those other states are that are actually uh, dancing with the devil. There, you know, they are, Ooh. they are. Th- there are uh, going to be yeah. some states that are going go out there and. and
1: don't say a word. Yeah. Don't say which ones. I'm like, don't. You do it. You gotta let him finally, do it, John. Why? Well, look, finally, when he said, "I don't know," this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Don't say anything. John. 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 I, I could have got it out of him. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want <laughs> no, I thought. I want uh, them all to succeed.
2: Can I ask you a question though? Because you work, yeah. you work uh, in depth with a lot of the states. If you were to guess which states would potentially open the floodgates for it, g- give me, give me, give me, like, say. And these obviously they may they may not happen, but give me give me give me one or two states that
1: potentially do it. I think Florida would potentially do it. Nah, I'm not too. I think what you're really going to be looking for is which states you have the Association of Boxing Commissions, which is combative sports, boxing and MMA. And there's there has been a split now for the last ten years or so, and that's you know rules of MMA are split and what you know everything is. And so it's the ones that have kind of stepped away from the ABC. You know, the the state like a Missouri has stepped away from the ABC. I could see state of Missouri possibly doing it. You could see someone, yeah, you know, I would I would go and say that New Jersey with Larry Hazard possibly, but Larry Hazard's pretty strict about, you know, he, the unified rules were his and he's not going to accept knees to the head of a grounded fighter because he was one of the big proponents against it so i don't see that happening but the states that are you know on the fringe outside of the abc like missouri i can definitely see that one happening all right well
2: at least we have a little hint on what direction that's so close to colorado though maybe louisiana also could oh, be there louisiana you go. there you go there's two mind for you. that no. what about texas no I mean, they're they're already a shit show. Why not allow
1: this? (laughs) Well, you're going there, so we're going to see what you're going to do with the commissions. though. (laughs) Take over, baby. Uh, The commission of Texas and Josh Thompson.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We will see. We will see. Hopefully, we can build a relationship over there so we can uh, uh, try to help as much as possible, whether it's with the uh, refs, judges, fighters, whatever. All of it. Who knows? Who knows? Wait, uh, I want to definitely... uh, Say how how nice it was to have him on, and it was um, definitely a pleasure to get some uh, conversation with him about what's coming up. Maybe potentially in their Amazon deal, um, working forward through how many shows that they have. As he said twelve fights a year on Amazon. Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, you know, um, will they also
1: be covering the ones that are going on over in the u in uh, in Asia? Yeah, I doubt it. I think they, know? those twelve or ones they could be. Those shows could be from Asia. Mm-hmm. but it's not going to be you know you know how they they kind of split up their shows as far as yeah they do have the muay thai shows and things like that it was mm-hmm. one thing i i forgot to you know bring up because you know he, it, one or Chatri is the one that really changed over into doing muay thai with mma gloves mm-hmm. and it's really opened up to sport a lot oh so much better i i love it and it's a it's been a great thing i, I love the how they came about with it and uh, I forgot to give him kudos for that because. Well, I really he didn't, didn't
2: really change kudos. it. I remember they used to wear like rope with glass on their knuckles before, back in the day. But, I mean, you know. <laughs> Dude, when you're talking,
1: <laughs> he did a lot. You know, and then he talked about Lethway and, and you know, he had it. And it was one of the things that I was, you know, I watched from one. But Lethway has the head butts and it has all kinds of different attacks and stuff. But And you can get knocked out in that sucker and still they'll put you back on your stool and you come back the next round. Sounds very Craziness. safe. Crazy. Sounds extremely safe. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's not safe.
2: <laughs> uh, well, hey, that's going to wrap up our show. And want to thank him for coming on. and It was definitely a
1: great time. Yeah. For everyone out there, thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed, and we will see you.